All right, good morning. Uh, so we'll be in uh, Ruth chapter 2 today, but I want to start the lesson a little differently. I've got a little video dialed up here. Actually, Matt has it dialed up for me. Uh, some of you already mentioned this guy's name is Brian Reagan. He's a comedian. And uh, I think it's about a minute, minute and a half bit, uh, but I just want to start with it for our introduction. Men and women, we think differently about some things, you know? That's good. We're equal but different. And I'll give you an example. My wife and I have a good friend who got divorced about six months ago, and neither of us had seen him since his divorce. I went golfing with him last week, first time I'd seen him since then. I get back from golf and my wife goes, how's Gary? I don't know. <laughs> Oh, I, I thought you were going golfing with Gary today. Well, I did. <laughs> and you don't know how he's doing? I never really came up. <laughs> did you ask me to ask him that? <laughs> no, I thought maybe you would think to ask him that. No, I didn't think of that. <laughs> approach things differently in our in the way we think about things definitely the way we communicate now I, I played that one because it's funny and I like it uh, but as I read through Ruth again and again it occurred to me uh, that it's written by Samuel we think but in chapter 2 especially and, and in also in chapter 3 there, there are several conversations that are recorded between Ruth and Naomi and it's obvious that a man recorded them. <laughs> because it's basically the bullet points. Uh, and I think as you're reading the narrative, it's helpful to stop and think about what all may have transpired. The other thing that we lose in the book of Ruth is the timeline. Because we, were, you know, we finished chapter 1 last week, obviously, and we're not sure exactly how long the, all of that took. But we get to chapter 2... And it's basically going to cover a time span of the entire barley harvest. I don't know how long that is in that ancient day. Uh, probably a week or two, maybe more. But these conversations start happening between Ruth and Naomi. And so as you read them, you've got to kind of make yourself slow down and think about what all details are not included in the scripture. And how long those and how, how those conversations might have gone. Uh, I think... Uh, just before Lisa and I got married, maybe right after Lisa and I got married, we had a, 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 a well, I guess it was 
a year after or two, whenever Rebecca, how long were we married when Becca was born? Yeah, it was our first nanny, and we were talking, and she told me like the, the best thing, the greatest thing ever for a woman is, is conversation. And I said, really? <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> uh, but you can imagine these conversations with Ruth and Naomi really, really getting detailed and, and, and going back and forth and, and all that. And when you read it, it really cuts to the chase. And so as you, as you do your reading at home, it, it might be helpful to slow down and think about that and consider those things because we're going to go through this chapter, this entire chapter day, hopefully. But I think the timeline here is, is, is much, much greater, probably two or three week span at least. And that's important because chapter two is where the romance finally begins to start to bud between Boaz and Naomi and I don't think it happens at the start of chapter 2 I think that that really picks up kind of the middle and then towards the end and so as you think about the timeline and the back and forth as as Ruth is going and coming to the barley harvest and and coming back to Naomi and, and speaking to her as you read it it sounds like it's a it's a two-day thing I don't think that's accurate I think this thing is really really drawn out and the more that Boaz gets to know Ruth the more that he is intrigued. So I just wanted to kind of mention that from the, from the get-go uh, and point those things out. So Ruth chapter 2, uh, again it's at the time of barley harvest and, and Ruth starts out and she, um, one, one thing that was almost humorous, it's interesting to me, chapter 1 ends and it says that they get back to Bethlehem, the area at the beginning of the barley harvest. And ver chapter 2, verse 1 mentions, and it, if this was written in modern English, and it, would, it might say, oh, and by the way, there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Because it mentions that, and then it, it just kind of leaves it. it. That's the first mentioning of Boaz. It says he's a man of great wealth, and he's of the family of Elimelech. So it kind of sets things up, and then, and then we just kind of lose track of Boaz for a few verses. Uh, one thing that is, is interesting is that Boaz, uh, it says he's a man of great wealth. Well, what just happened in Israel, and we just read about it in chapter 1? The famine. So somehow Boaz, is, he's pretty cunning, he's uh, somehow he comes out of the famine okay. And he's, still, he's a man of great wealth. Uh, uh, maybe he is uh, like a, a shrewd investor and he knew to buy when things were low. I don't, maybe he acquired a bunch of land. While, I, I don't know. But scripture tells us, gives us a little insight about Boaz. We're going to leave that thought. We're going to talk about Ruth for just a moment, Ruth and Naomi. And then we're going to come back to Boaz. And we're going to get to know Boaz. Uh, so the, the characters really get introduced here and the relationship begins to, to happen here in chapter 2. So in verse 2 it says that uh, Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi. Now it also it, it leaps off the page to me. It doesn't just say Ruth, does it? It says Ruth the Moabitess. Why do you think that is? Why, why do you think the scriptures go to the, the trouble of pointing out the, that little phrase the Moabitess? She wasn't a believer, or she wasn't Jewish. Right, she's not Jewish, so she's a stranger in the land. 
And I think because of, we're, we're going to get into a lot of, well, we're not going to get into it, but the scripture is going to infer a lot of Levitical law. I, I think it's this, this kind of thing on the outside hinge that this, there may be some legal loopholes here that she doesn't really have rights that could be inferred by others or that could be demanded by others. And so again, it points out, it, it makes emphasis we know who Ruth is already, but it, it makes emphasis again. The writer makes careful attention here that it's Ruth the Moabitess. And she says to Naomi, please let me go into the field and glean heads of, of, uh, of grain. Um, wherever I can go and who's not that I can find favor. Now, Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. Leviticus 23, verse 22. And Deuteronomy chapter 24, 19 through 22, gives some the, the Levitical laws on gleaning. And so what gleaning is, is when the farmers were harvesting, there were certain things that they could not do, and they had to make um, provision for the poor. And this was gleaning. And so what that meant was, in the Levitical law, if you had a field and you were cutting your field, it said that you were to not to cut the corners of the field. You cut the center, but you leave the corners. And you left that for the poor. Also, it went into uh, a little bit further detail in Deuteronomy, and it told the farmers that as they bundled, as they bound these things up, if, as they dropped the, the small bits, uh, they weren't to pick them up, and they're to leave them for the poor. And this did a couple of things. What it taught the farmers to be generous. It taught them to have a giving spirit. But it also made provision for the poor, but it's not the kind of provision that we think of today where somebody sits at home and does nothing and, uh, and, and just the check shows up. No, they had to go out and work. And so the, the gleaners, that's what gleaning was. You didn't have to own the property, but you had a Levitical right by law to go into the fields and glean. Now you weren't to, to get in the middle of the harvest and get in the way and try to take the bulk, but the, the corners and, and those things on the, the, the ground were left for you so that you could work and that you could, you could bring enough home to feed your family and do things like that. Now, Levitical law also made provision for those who were unable. So don't, don't think that there's never a place for that. There is. But for those who were able to work and to go and to provide, they were to go out and to glean if they didn't have their own crops to harvest. And so, but we see that Ruth here, uh, she, she asked Naomi, and I guess Naomi has given her the insight here and, and told her this is how we do it here, uh, the, the laws and uh, allow for this, but maybe they're a little nervous because uh, they're thinking Ruth if she goes into these fields, people are going to know she's not of our people, and they may run her off and say, you don't have the Levitical right to be here because you're not one of us. But she asked, and I, I think that's probably a little bit of what's going on because I see her asking Ruth, can I go and do this? Let me, let me give it a try. Let me see whose eyes I can find favor in, and maybe they'll let me glean. Remember, Ruth and Naomi come back from Moab, and they have nothing. Uh, they, they, they have no way to provide. They have no protection. Uh, all of the men are dead. They are on their own. 
And so she is, she is trying to make a plan for survival. And she goes out, uh, and, and we read here in uh, verse 3, Then she left and went out and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the fam family of Elimelech. And so again, in the English, we might say, well, it just so happened. And the scripture not saying that that's the way it was. It's saying that's probably how it seemed to her. She just, she's looking for a place. She's desperately looking for a place to survive. And it happens that she lands in the field of Boaz. And we as scripture readers, and especially if we've read ahead and we know the story, we know that that didn't just so happen. Right? Mm -hmm. This is the hand of God already beginning to work. An instrument, uh, an instrument, what's the right? Instrument these things and put them into place. See, and this is, this is, this teaches us something again about the will of God, because so often people, I've heard people say, "Which I just don't, I don't know what the will of God for my life is. I don't know what to do." What does Ruth do? She goes out and does the basic thing. The things that she should be doing. She's going out and she's working. She's trying to provide for herself, for her mother-in-law. She, she's, she's not sitting around just waiting for something to happen and saying, oh, Lord, just send somebody by with some grain or some food for us. Give me, give me, give me. No, she's going out and doing the things that she knows to do. And in doing so, so she, uh, the, the hand of the Lord is working naturally, is it not? The hand of the Lord said in Levitical law, this is how you can glean, poor people. This is how you can survive. This is how you kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You do this, and then you continue to work, and, and you get stronger and better, and, and you do as best you can for yourself. So she's working naturally through the hand of God because Levitical law allowed it. And then we see the super, supernatural hand of God begin to intervene, see. And that's, more times than not, that's how things will work. If you're not sure what the will of God is in one aspect of your life, that's okay. That just means that God has not revealed that to you yet. So what should you do? Sit around and just focus on that? No. Get busy about the things that you know that you should be doing. Do the things that God said to do. They're, they're written down for you. Very simple. Do what God said to do naturally and then supernaturally he'll reveal to you that part of the will that you're seeking in his time. See? And, and this is more times than not, this is how God works in our lives. And so we see that example here with Ruth as she goes out and she begins to harvest and do the things that, uh, that she's told that she can do. Uh, Naomi grants her permission. She goes out and she lands in the field of Boaz. And that gets us to, to verse 4. And this is where we're going to meet Boaz. So let's, let's meet Boaz now. This is the Prince Charming of the story. Uh, he, he rides in on the white stallion, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, no, not really. He might have had a donkey, but that'd be it. Yeah. You know what I did this week? It's kind of silly. I think I did this Monday. I watched Cinderella. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever watched Cinderella, but I watched it. I knew the story behind it. But I wanted to, to make some comparisons, see, and, and, and there, there are a lot of them. 
Uh, but there's some things where it goes astray uh, that don't match up. Uh, for one thing, in the story of Cinderella, of course, uh, Prince Charming, is the, the, he's got the flowing hair and he's perfect and immaculate and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and Cinderella is just a, a gorgeous, gorgeous little girl. She's locked away and all this sort of thing. Uh, she gets to go shopping for free. I noticed that, ladies. The fairy godmother, that's what that is. That's a free shopping trip. Y'all don't, you don't get nothing past me. But we don't read anything about Boaz or Ruth about physical appearance. Did you notice that? Maybe in your mind you picture somebody, but the scriptures are, they don't say anything about that. It's absent. We don't know what she looked like. I think probably she's pretty common looking. I don't know. And that's one reason I love the romantic part of Ruth. It's not based on just sentiment. I'm sure there was some physical attraction there, but it was more about character. It was more about uh, earnestness and and really getting to know each other as people, see, Uh, and loyalty and things like that that were the attraction group. Nonetheless, Boaz shows up. And so right off the bat, we learn some things about here in verse 4. He, he comes up. He's a, he's a good owner. He's a good boss. He comes up to check on things during the harvest. And apparently, they're already out there. So, and I can picture in my mind that maybe Boaz has several fields or maybe he has several responsibilities. Most likely, he does. But here in this field, the, the gleaner, the, the Harvesters are already there. They probably showed up before dark or before light daylight uh, to get their place. And uh, uh, you know how the young guys are. They're probably off to one side having push-up contests or kicking each other in the rear end or something, you know, as young guys will do, uh, getting ready to work. And there's a, there's a foreman there, and, and everything's getting there and getting ready. Uh, and then daylight hits, and, and the foreman says, go, and they start the process of harvesting this field. And at some point, Boaz shows up. And the first thing he does is he comes out, and he, he greets his workers, and he gives them a blessing. And he says something like, the Lord bless you. And so we understand that Boaz loves his work. He's, he's a good boss. And not just he's a good boss, but the, the workers love Boaz because they answer back, And they give a spiritual blessing to him. Oh, hey, boss, and also the Lord bless you. And so we understand that even within his character, that Boaz is a good man. He's a good boss. He's a good employer. And so they they issue these blessings. And then Boaz, he begins to look over everybody in the field. And he, you know, it's a small community. He knows everybody out there. But then he spots Ruth. And he turns to the foreman and says, well, who is this woman? And there's other ladies out there working. They're probably binding the sheaves together and stacking up the, the harvest as, it, as it's cut down and, and getting things organized, ready to haul off uh, to go to the threshing floor. Uh, but he looks and he, sees, he looks out over the field and he sees Ruth. He said, well, who is this? I don't know who this is. Who is this? He's speaking to the foreman. Uh, verse 6, so the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. So he doesn't use her name, but he he gives a description. This is that Moabite woman that came back with Naomi. So what does that tell us 
about the uh, the story of Ruth. People have heard about her. Exactly. Yeah. So this is uh, the the what happened is is well known in the community. Remember in chapter one when they came back, uh, as they came back, all the women recognized Naomi, and that conversation struck up. And uh, no doubt, again, this is this thing where we have this one fact. The conversation probably went on for a while. There were probably multiple conversations. Some good, some bad. But in the community, everybody knew that Naomi had a, a daughter-in-law or a young woman with her from Moab. And we're going to learn that Boaz has heard good things about Ruth. He's not met her yet, but he's heard good things in the community. And so the servant answers, um, verse 7, and she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. So what does that tell us? Ruth showed up early, in fact, early enough to speak to the foreman before things are really going. So she's probably there at dark also before the day, before the sun's up and they're really going. And Again, it's a Levitical right for the poor to be able to glean. But Ruth doesn't walk up to the foreman and say, you know what, buddy? I got the law on my side. Get out of my way. No, she presents herself. She said, hey, she asked. But as she came and asked, could she do this? Could she glean in this field? What do you think that said to Boaz? I mean, already a lot, right? Already it speaks of her loyalty that she just came back with Naomi. Because they all understand that, you know, that was a sacrifice. She could have stayed in her land. She could have sought a husband to have children by and, and protection and wealth and everything. But she didn't. She stuck by Naomi and she comes back. And she's taken uh, Yahweh as her God and, and Israel as her people. She's made that commitment and those sacrifices. On top of that, when she comes to work so that she can provide for Naomi on her own, and she asks permission, hey, can I be here? Can I, can I jump here? And just, I just want to glean. I'm not here to, to do anything else. So she asks permission. And the foreman points out that, man, she started early and she's still here. She's a worker, Boaz. She, she's got some grit to her, some character. And Boaz speaks to her. Verse 8. This is the first thing he says to her. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go and glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. We'll stop there and then we'll see her reply. Several things here. Boaz takes notice of Ruth, but I don't think this is love at first sight. I don't, I don't think this is Walt Disney love. I, I think Boaz has already admired her character from what he's heard about her. But now he, he sees her even more so. And I think Boaz, as a, a good man, 
who has something to give. And, and I wish, actually, I wish there were some young single ladies here because here's a great lesson in what to look for when looking for a young man. Boaz is kind to people who seemingly cannot repay him anything. You, you know, if, if we're going out with a, a, when you were young and single, if you're going out with a guy, is he going to be nice to you? Well, sure. <laughs> of course. That's a no-brainer. <laughs> Ben's honest enough to laugh. The rest of y'all should laugh. Lighten up a little bit. We all know how this game goes. But young ladies should watch how he treats other people if you want to know about their character. How, how does he treat the poor? How does he treat people who can't repay anything to him? And I think this is what Boaz is doing. He's got a, a, a kind heart, and he, he, he likes what's going on with Ruth. He likes her character, who she is. And what she's committed to. And he says, you know what? Don't go anywhere else. Stay here. And don't feel like you've got to go draw your own water or anything. There's pitchers here. And no doubt Boaz had some young boys that are running and getting water. And they're getting strained to bind the sheaves and things like that. He's like, all right, boys, y'all feel that water? But Ruth, you just use that. Don't go out of your way. You don't have to leave your work. Just And he's, he's providing. And he also offers protection. I love it. I love what it says. And I've told the young man to leave you alone, okay? <laughs> you can relax. If I took care of that. Again, I can picture this group of young men. Here's a bunch of young, strong, blue-collar guys. They're showing up to, oh, it's barley hard. I, I used to, we used to pick up hay in Louisiana when I was a teenager. You know, and you get a bunch of young guys out there, well, I want to do what? Who can pick up the most hay? Who can throw it the highest? And all these stupid games that guys do. It's all always competition, isn't it, guys? And they're just full of brim and vinegar and, you know, this. And he's like, guys, leave that one alone, okay? <laughs> just stay away from her, I'm telling you, as the boss. So, Ruth, you're protected. There'll be no catcalling and all this other kind of stuff that goes on. You're safe here, Ruth. And stay with my young women. So he gives her companionship. Protection and provision. All of that. And Ruth answers. I think it's in verse 10. So she fell on her face and bowed down to the ground and said to him, What have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? See, she knows she doesn't belong. She has no Levitical rights. This is, this is, not, this is no longer law. This is grace. And can you imagine? I, I don't think we can because it, it's hard to even put ourselves in her position. But have, after having given up everything in Moab, her husband's already dead. Her father-in-law's dead. But yet she gives up her, her family, her maternal family. She, she leaves her home, her land. She comes to just for no other reason but to, to help Ruth. And I think also spiritual reasons. I think she's seeking Yahweh. I earnestly do. I think this is a, a, a spiritual journey for her. But yet it's a journey of faith. She, she knows nobody owes her anything. And Boaz reaches out with protection, provision, kindness. And she's overwhelmed to the point that she just falls on her face and says, Why? I, how? Can you be, I don't deserve any of this. I'm not of your people, even, Boaz. 
And Boaz answered, verse 11, and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you've left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to the people whom you did not know before. And then he gives a spiritual blessing. See, verse 11, he's talking about, Ruth, I've heard about you. I heard about your character. And, and, and he didn't talk about her beauty. He didn't talk about anything that she has to offer. But I heard about what you gave up and why you gave it up. And, and, and I'm, basically, Boaz says, I'm impressed. And then he offers a spiritual blessing to her. Verse 12, the Lord repay your work and full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Oh, man. And she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Again, I can't imagine the comfort, the relief, the grace that Ruth feels at this moment. I mean, again, we read through this so fast from chapter 1 to this point. We're talking about weeks, maybe months of desperation, of, of wondering. Where's, when's the relief coming? Is the relief coming? And Boaz brings all of it in this moment, in this conversation. And, and I think... Um, we're, we're about to read the next verse, and I think this is where the romance actually begins to bloom. And it's going to say at mealtime, but I don't think it's, it's probably not even the same day. At, at some point, and maybe it's the same day, I don't know, but I, but I believe this happens over a long period of time. It, it stretches out, and this, this little uh, romance begins to blossom and to bloom. And I think the more that Boaz is there and the more he sees Ruth, she, she sticks by the stuff. She, she keeps working. She keeps to, uh, doing the things that she should do, doing the right things. And Boaz, uh, he admires that. In verse 14, at mealtime, he comes to her and says, Hey, come here and eat the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. Uh, and so she sat by the reapers and passed and parched grain to her, and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. So, in other words, Ruth, when it's time to eat, don't go off by yourself. You come here with my workers. We've got, listen, the ladies fixed some stuff. The, the, the older mom got apple pie and brought it out here, you know, and, and, and whatever, and, and talked about the vinegar and the, uh, what, something to dip the bread in. They had bread and, and some, probably some herbs, some spices, the good stuff. See, Boaz is going to be feeding his workers good stuff, right? He wants them strong and healthy. He wants them working just as hard in the second part of the day as he does in the first, right? So he's got, and he says, Ruth, you come here and you get some of this. And, and she does, and she eats so much till she, she's satisfied. She's got her strength back, and then she keeps some back for, uh, to take home to Naomi. Uh, verse 15, And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, 
let her glean among the sheaves. Now, this is why I say the romance develops here, is starting to develop. So he calls the young guys off to the side again. He's already called them off once and said, all right, leave her alone. All right? And I don't think it was a, you know, this one's for me or none of that. No, it's like, just leave her alone. It, but now he calls them off again. He says, hey, you see that one there? That's Ruth. And if you're, if you're harvesting and you notice that Ruth gets behind your harvest, it's okay. Take a little bit extra and just drop it. Whoops. And leave it on the ground so that she'll come to it and she'll find it and she'll pick it up. Treat her a little extra, see? Give her some more and don't reproach her. Let her keep on harvesting and give her some extra. Verse 16, also let the grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it there that she can glean and don't rebuke her. Make sure that she has plenty. Verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what was gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. So she goes home with the ephah of barley and leftover lunch. Now, I don't know what a, a gleaner would normally get. Does anybody, did anybody, don't look in your study Bible because I know you cheat. <laughs> Does anybody know how much an ephah is? See, she, she, she. Guzik said it's about, Guzik said it probably translates to about five and a half gallons. And this is after she's beat it out. So it's the good. That's the, the, uh, the yield, right? Uh, and so you can imagine, and, she, and she's probably carrying this home. She didn't expect this, so she's probably trying to carry it home in her apron or something. And you can just imagine her going down the road in this stuff. Uh, and she's, uh, see, a gleaner would go home with just enough, usually. Yeah, maybe a little bit extra, maybe enough to make some bread or, or put it aside, you know, just the bare minimum. And here comes Ruth walking home, and no doubt Naomi's waiting and watching for her to come down the road, you know, wondering how she did, wanting to make sure she's safe, that things are, and, and here comes Ruth, and she's got an ephah. She's got five. Those young men understood what Boaz said. And every time Ruth got behind them, well, they cut a little bit and like, oh, I dropped that. <laughs> Whoops. And Ruth's picking it up. And you can imagine Boaz is off to the side. He's kind of, he's smiling. He's liking it. See? He's getting, he gets satisfaction for providing for Ruth. He loves to protect her to provide for, to make sure that she, she gets rewarded for what she's done, see. And he understands that, and, and, he, and he, gets, he gets a thrill from that. Verse 18, Then she took it and went to the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. <coughs> so Naomi sees an ephah of barley, and then she gets a happy meal too. She gets, she gets supper delivered. She, uh, I guess this was the first door dash. See? <laughs> and, and she immediately, she asked, where did you glean today? In other words, Naomi's shocked by how much comes back, and she knows something's up. Where in the world did you go, Ruth? What, what happened? Tell me about it. And this is where that conversation, and we only have just a couple of verses of conversation. 
So this is kind of the Brian Reagan version of it, see? I guarantee you they talked for hours this night about everything that happened during this, this harvest. I promise you, she started talking about Boaz and uh, how the conversation went and, and, and what he looked like and, and all these things. And, oh, I hate that I was, wasn't done up and this sort of, and, and, and all these things. But we have a few verses here. Where did you glean today and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. There's so much she knows that somebody's done something special. Naomi gets it. Somebody is, is interested here. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And something clicks in Naomi. Ladies, there's something about y'all. You're not satisfied until everybody's hooked up with somebody else. <laughs> we need to fix her up, with, or we need to fix him up. So everybody needs to be connected, right? That's not a criticism. It's not. If y'all didn't do that, probably nothing would ever happen, to be honest, because we're talking to, to Gary about his new driver and don't know what's going on <laughs> in each other's lives, right? That, that's God's provision for us. But Naomi recognizes the name, and she starts to get excited. Now, before I read verse 20, oh, I'm out of time. Goodness. What did Naomi demand that the women call her when she returned from Bethlehem? Not Naomi. What was the name she chose? Mara, which means what? Bitter. I want you to listen how her tune changes in verse 20. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours and one of our close relatives. And then Ruth said, Whoa, guess what? It gets better. Verse 21. He also said to me, You shall stay close to my own men until they have finished all my harvest. So she, he invited me. He said, come back. This is just the first ephah. He said, keep coming back. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his, with his young women and that the people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. So Boaz... He, he's starting to provide, and he's taking, and he, and, he, and he tells Ruth, don't go anywhere else. I want you to come back and stay with me. That, that's a pretty good way for a second day, didn't it? <laughs> and a third, and a fourth. There's plenty here, Ruth. Don't go anywhere else. And so we see this romance is starting to, to bud. Now, what's, what's Naomi thinking? She said automatically, this guy's a close relative. What's she thinking? <laughs> Thank you for Yeah, she's hearing wedding bells already, right? Hey, this is awesome. And and I but I love this part of it. This this is not underhanded or conniving. No, 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 no. Don't think that. No, no, no. This is pure. This is right. This is Levitical. But it's also great. It's gracious. It's not just law, but it's grace and it's love. Not only can we employ this right, but man, Boaz. 
Boaz, ladies. Hey, that's Prince Charming. That's JFK Jr. on a burro, but still, <laughs> he's the guy. See? And Naomi starts to think about these things because she knows the rights and the way things should work. And so this romance begins to bud, and Naomi begins to think and to plan and to get ready to advise. Older women teach the younger, see. And Boaz, he's just happy. See, us guys never know what's going on in the romance department. We don't know. He's just excited that he's met Ruth and the harvest is going great. He thinks life is perfect already. He doesn't know that wedding bells are being planned. <laughs> but they are. And that's where we leave it. Come back next week and we'll do chapter three.